Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 22 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. In last week's episode, we took a moment to appreciate catchers as they play one of the hardest positions on the field while subjecting themselves to injury, foul balls, and bats. And they make it look pretty easy, too. But this week's episode is going to be quite a bit different. Since baseball has been around, snacks have been involved. It's one of the fan luxuries that you get in pretty much every level of baseball, from grilling out at a club baseball game when you're a kid, to having funnel cakes at a big league ballpark. It's a tradition as old as the game itself. You acknowledge it every time that you sing the game's anthem. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Today, we're going to talk about some of the history behind your favorite ballpark eats and snacks that fill the air every time you sit down to watch a baseball game. Now, a lot of these stories have to deal with a keen businessman who's been called the Babe Ruth of ballpark vending, named Harry Stevens. Many of the concessions we'll talk about today were ideas of his. You see, before these snacks were very popularized, ham sandwiches, cheese sandwiches, ice cream, and lemonade made up the majority of the food that was served at baseball games. But now, we have pretty much everything that you can think of. Peanuts have always been a huge part of baseball, as it gives fans something to do with their hands. If you've ever been to a baseball game, you know that there is quite a lot of nervous energy constantly going through your system. Peanuts became popular among fans as it allowed them to fiddle with the shells while still getting something to eat. The story behind how they came to baseball is a rather interesting one too. You see, in the late 19th century, Stevens decided to sell advertising space to a New Jersey peanut company. But instead of taking money from the peanut company to pay for that advertising space, he decided to get peanuts from them instead. In turn, Stevens sold all of the peanuts that he got from that peanut company at the games, leading to the popularity of the snack. When the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game came out, the part of the song that mentions peanuts was added in order to remind fans to seek out a vendor and get some of the salty snacks. Nowadays, four to seven million bags... <laughs> of peanuts are consumed every regular season and make up about a quarter of all concession annual sales according to Sports Illustrated. I know that I would also be part of that statistic as well if I wasn't allergic to peanuts. But while we're on the topic of shells and seeds, what about sunflower seeds? Another package that you basically see, well, literally anywhere in a ballpark, sunflower seeds come in many different flavors and sizes from cracked pepper to ranch and just original kind of flavor to them. They first popped up in the big leagues around 1950 when big leaguers started eating them as the sunflower seeds packed a lot of protein and vitamins that was beneficial to the players. Also, you could chew them forever, making it a bit of a healthier alternative to the chewing tobacco that used to plague the game and their players. Hall of Fame players Eno Slaughter, Stan Musial, and Reggie Jackson are among some of the snack's most popular users as they perfected the art of splitting the seed open and spitting it out so the seed was the only thing left in your mouth. Now, although it might sound kind of gross, 
Baseball fans quickly followed suit, as they wanted to be just like the players on the field. All of a sudden, seats around the stadium were littered with shells, and grounds crew keepers worked tirelessly to find a way to get the husks out of the dirt and the grass. Cracker Jacks have also been an obvious staple of baseball snacks ever since they were popularized in 1908. The molasses-covered popcorn and peanuts package was first introduced at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, but it wasn't until 1914 that the snack got its most desirable prize, baseball cards in each one of the boxes. This was especially exciting for children, as you can imagine, as they were able to trade each of their cards with other kids while eating the delicious snack. Now, if you happen to have any of these cards, you're very much in luck. A full 176 card complete set sold last year and was valued at around $750,000 with three specialty cards that valued at $100,000 each. The cards were of Shoeless Joe Jackson, Ty Cobb, and Christy Mathewson, all extremely well-known names that have echoed in the Major League Baseball history books. I have a very personal connection with Cracker Jacks as I always remember the Colorado Rockies broadcasters and producers and sound guys and stuff like that throwing bags of them down to the fans during the seventh inning stretch right behind home plate. Now, although the prizes are a bit cheap and a little gimmicky now, it's always kind of satisfying to just sit down to a game with a bag of Cracker Jacks in your hand knowing that you're part of a tradition that started way long ago. But what about hot dogs? Now, it's said that the hot dog was created for baseball, with the bun becoming the differentiating factor between it and a normal frankfurter or wiener sausage. It's not entirely clear where the first hot dog came from. Some say that a vendor, Antoni Fetchtwanger, I believe it is, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think I might be, started selling people sausages and offered white gloves to his customers so that they could hold the piping hot food. However, people started to take the gloves and the vendor really started to lose money based off of it. His wife then came up with the idea of a long, soft roll that was perfectly sized and cut to hold the sausages, to which Fetchwanger named Red Hots. Another theory points to the world-famous Coney Island in Brooklyn, when Charles Feldman, who was a German butcher at the time, started to sell hot sausages on rolls. The food became so popular that Feldman opened up a restaurant and stands all over the area. However, in 1916, a bread slicer who worked for Feldman named Nathan Handwecker decided to break away from the business to start his own company, where he would charge five cents for his hot dogs instead of Feltman's usual 10 cent charge. The business would grow to the hot dog powerhouse that we know today as Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs. Now, Major League Baseball fans consume about 18.3 million hot dogs and around 4 million sausages every season. And that's not to mention the hot dog eating contest that goes on every July 4th. Now, the best part about these hot dogs is that every MLB baseball team has their own specialty hot dog that you can purchase. The Colorado Rockies have the Rocky Dog, which is a foot-long sausage that's covered in peppers, onions, and sauerkraut. The Diamondbacks have a few 18-inch hot dogs that have gravy, fried eggs, and jalapeno poppers on them as well. The 
Orioles have a hot dog that's loaded with mac and cheese and Maryland crab, which actually doesn't sound that bad. And who can forget the Twins Boomstick? A two-foot-long hot dog smothered in chili, nacho cheese, grilled onions, and jalapenos as well. Every ballpark has some sort of special way that they spiced up the classic. And I think I speak for a lot of people here when I say that I want to try every single last one of them. So bad. <laughs> Along with the hot dogs came the nachos. Now I can't explain how much I crave nachos every time I go to a baseball game. On top of a cluster of chips that vary from really crunchy to completely soggy, sits a pile of jalapenos, pulled pork, queso, pico de gallo, and beans that form a concoction of food that honestly becomes a bit of a challenge to finish as it fills you up within a matter of seconds. The thing with nachos, though, is that they're actually a relatively new invention in the ballpark concession scene, as they weren't offered in ballparks until 1976. But since then, it's nearly impossible to find a stand that doesn't sell any. Nachos were never really sold at sporting events because it was hard to produce them quickly and cheaply for that matter. That was until a man named Frank Liberto changed it all. You see, Liberto developed a cheese sauce. And I say a cheese sauce because, well, according to the FDA, it can't legally be referred to as cheese, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But the sauce required a little bit of water and some leftover juice from the jalapenos. Mix that together and it created this orange sauce that could be dispensed from a pump. Now since the sauce came in cans and was easily dispensable and didn't need to be refrigerated, the idea sold well to ballparks. The Rangers were the first to adapt it and the new snack brought in around $800,000 in sales in its debut season. Since then, other sporting events like football adopted a new concession to great success, making it one of the most popular concessions at the ballpark and sporting events around the world. Now, I feel like I've covered some of the most popular concessions that you most commonly come across at a baseball game. But what about some of the weirder, one-off concessions that you get to see at only a few ballparks? One that immediately comes to mind comes from the Seattle Mariners, who sell toasted grasshoppers covered in a chili lime seasoning. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but that just seems very weird. <laughs> I've seen some pictures of these grasshoppers, and there are actually two different ones. There's one called the grasshopper, and there's one called chappy lines, which are basically like a french fry kind of grasshopper toasted thing. But the grasshopper ones, more specifically, still have legs on them, they still have antennas, and it just seems like the weirdest thing you could eat. But I feel like even weirder is that people love them. You see, the Mariners' hospitality partner, Center Plate, which is one of about six major hospitality partners around the league, well, you see, they ordered 20 pounds of these chapulins, of which all of them were sold out in a single day. They were trying to get them to stretch over an all-star weekend, but they ended up selling all of them out in one day. The thing about them is they're affordable at just $5 for a cup of them. And they're definitely quite a novelty, which makes them so unique. I mean, you definitely just get them so that you can 
take a picture of them, post them on Instagram, post them on Twitter and say, hey, look what I ate today. This is really weird. I mean, it's just the novelty behind them that I think makes them so popular. The Diamondbacks also find themselves on this list of weird foods as they offer a rather delectable treat called the churro dog. Now this one is crazy because it's a churro inside of a donut topped with ice cream and chocolate sauce and it looks like an actual hot dog. It's really strange. Now when it comes to ice cream at baseball games, you can usually expect it in these mini helmets with a few sprinkles on top, maybe like some chocolate drizzle, you know, not very much. The Chicago White Sox, however, have a special dessert that offers a full-size batting helmet, complete with 12 scoops of ice cream, two or three bananas, whipped cream, strawberry sauce, chocolate drizzle, and cherries as well. And while we're on the topic of dessert, why don't you stop by the Rangers game to get the Elvis Jabber Dog Brownie, which is a two-foot brownie rolled in Rice Krispies that is then dipped in funnel cake batter and then deep fried. <laughs> and that's drizzled with everything as well. Now, <laughs> I feel that sports concessions are always just a good excuse to try some crazy foods. I mean, many people think of going to sporting events, let alone baseball games, as sort of a holiday. I mean, it's not something that you get to do all the time, so when you get to do it, it's, I mean, it's definitely an event. I mean, it's time to just eat whatever, drink whatever, and cheer on your favorite team for a few hours on a warm day. I mean, what is there not to love about that? Plus, I mean, calories don't count when you're at a baseball game. Everyone knows that. So next week's episode, we're going to talk about some of the special professional baseball events that we've seen in the history of the MLB like having baseball in the Olympics, or the World Baseball Classic, which, by the way, is really cool, and you should look up some highlights before listening to next week's episode. And while we're at it, we'll cover some of the most exciting moments from these events over the years. Thank you for listening. <laughs>